eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. deep. Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast. And Pro Football Hall of Famer. The General. Sean McClain. Welcome. 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 So you told Hey, hey, it's Sean Pendergast, and you are listening to episode three of the Utopia Football Podcast. Great to be with you, Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast in the morning on Sports Radio 610, 6 to 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 610. As always, joined by the Hall of Famer, the General, and of course, our colleague at Sports Radio 610 as well, John McClain. John, we're into episode three. We're into the week leading up to the first preseason game. How you feeling, my friend? Ready to see some football, tired of watching them go against each other in practice every day. This is a good week in the offseason because we get to see them hit players in other jerseys. And even though we might not see a lot of veterans very much, I've never cared about veterans in preseason. I'm always interested, Sean, in seeing young guys and new guys and how they fit into what Lovey Smith, uh, Nick Casario, and uh, – Pep Hamilton, what they want to see out of those players. I feel like, John, of, of all the teams you and I have watched since the NFL has sort of really started treating the preseason like uh, glorified practices for third and fourth stringers, like it, it, it's always it's always been somewhat compromised or minimized, but there was always a progression to it where starters would play a quarter in week one, they'd play half of the game in week two, they'd play most of the game in week three, and then week four was for guys trying to make the practice squad pretty much. Um, now that there's only pre- three preseason games and now that the league seems to be more tuned in to load management and managing the health of veterans and things like that, I do feel like this version of the Texans might be among, among teams in the league, their preseason schedule or regimen might be the least affected by that sort of mentality because they don't have that many guys that are sort of, I'll call them made guys on this roster right now. I, I think most of the guys we've been seeing at training camp, we're probably going to see a normal preseason game workload just because their roster is mostly young guys, one-year contract guys, guys trying to hang on in the league. I don't know. Like how, how, how big a portion of this Texans roster do you feel like is immune to the usage in preseason? 
I believe that Davis Mills might play a couple of series, depending mm-hmm. on how it goes. We don't need to see Brandon Cooks. There's nothing good about preseason that's going to help Cooks, who's been great in the offseason. I'd surprise Justin Britt, their center, who gets days off to protect his knees. There's no reason to have to see him. But there are a lot of young players and new players they need to look at, especially the ones we pay the most attention to, be the wide receivers and defensive backs. And I want to see Damian Pierce. Now, he's a rookie. He's a fourth-round pick. Marlon Mack's running number one. He's number two. I think, Sean, it's only a matter of time before he's number one. And I want to see what he can do because, to me, the single most important thing they can do this season is improve the running game because if the running game is better and it can't be any worse because it was pathetic, last in the NFL, worst in franchise history, that running game would help Davis Mills so much if he wasn't facing second 10 and second 11 and second and eight so many times. John, do people not bring that up enough when they're looking at Davis Mills' rookie year? Um, We know statistically for a rookie, especially a third-round pick, he was pretty good last year, especially in those last five games. He was really good in those last five games. You take his passer rating in those last five starts of last year, and if you if that were his passer rating for the whole season, he's in between like Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford on the passer rating list. So he was he was very good those last five games. But I feel like, especially outside of Houston, it's not recognized enough. Like this guy was playing with not a bad running game. He was playing, to use your favorite word, a pathetic running game last year. John, I feel like if they can just get to be like between like 20 and 23 in the league in rushing this year, that's going to be a huge, that's going to be like a piano off of the back of Davis Mills this season. Sean, when I read things about Mills in his rookie year, I didn't see anybody, and I'm not saying this wasn't done, anybody pointed out how Mills did not have the benefit of a running game and how Mac Jones had the benefit of a top five running game. And when analyzing the rookie quarterbacks, and that was that made his performance even more impressive. The fact that he did not have a running game. I think there was a stat where their backs got hit more in the backfield than any other team in the league. I know their average per carry was the worst in the league, second in franchise history. And that's why I think Pierce, purely because of the opportunity, and he's got some ability, and he seemed to be drafted in a place where the better running backs are not drafted in the first round, that it's about everything he has a chance to do. And I'm guessing his agent told him, son, be glad you're going there because they need you more than most teams need a rookie. And I think people around the league just didn't pay attention about that part of the running game, plus the defense too. The defense was awful. So if both of those are improved, and they don't have to be great, but what you said about where they should rank, that would help Mills tremendously. Pierce is just different too. I mean, John, it doesn't help that they're getting hit in the backfield last year, obviously, but when you're trying to do it with Philip Lindsay and Mark Ingram and David Johnson, and then you eventually all that collapses and you're leaning on Rex Burkhead as your feature back, and no disrespect to Rex Burkhead, he did the best with what the good Lord gave him last year. Um, but they, yeah, the blocking was poor, but now at least you've got a guy in Damian Pierce and hell I'll throw Marlon Mack who looked like he was running with a little bit more pop uh, on, on Saturday this weekend. Uh, Darius Anderson, who's been clear to the charges that he got hit with, uh, with his, I guess, on again, off again, girlfriend, the, the cops have dropped the charges 
there. So it looks like he's going to be around camp and he's been, he's looked like he's got a little juice. They seem to have guys, John, that, that don't profile like the running backs they had last year who were largely veteran guys who were on the downside. They seem to at least have some guys, Pierce and others included that are, that are on the upside, Man, you know, maybe Max a little older, but he's still, I think only 26. He's not 30 like David Johnson was. Uh, or Mark Ingram was uh, they, you know, the combination of just better blocking and more pop with those running backs, I think is, is going to be beneficial for Mills this year. We're, we're a long way from the start of the season, but Kenyon green, who they had targeted to be a starter at left guard. He's hurt. We don't know what the injury is. It doesn't seem like it's bad, but that was slow. His development, you know, he needs to be, the left guard, not Max Sharping. If Max Sharping begins the season as a starter at left guard, then they only have one new starter returning. And that, I mean, only one new starter, and that would be right guard A.J. Can. And from an offensive line, it was not good last year, mm-hmm. whether it was run blocking or pass protecting. I saw a thing, and I tweeted this, and ESPN did a study of line lines in run blocking and pass protection and their ranking of where they expected the Texas to be this season was amazing to me. I think it was somewhere. I can't even remember. It might've been 20th and I was stunned. Well, and, you were uh, stunned. You were stunned. Like it was that you thought it would be like, you thought it was silly that it would be as high as 20, just based on what it was like last year. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and the things they wrote about that line, um, I'm sure they saw it on tape, but I just, boy, Sean, I don't see it. Now, if you're Texans fans, you hope that's true because that would be a tremendous boost if the offensive line was better. And I think they're putting a lot of stock in that because of George Warhop being the new coach, their third offensive line coach in three <laughs> years after Mike Devlin and James Campen. And Campen came in here from Green Bay, then he got fired and you know, that experiment of moving Titus Howard to guard didn't work at all. So hopefully George Warhop can give them some stability up front and help them be better. Yeah, they've managed to stay pretty healthy here through the early part of training camp. But as you mentioned, Kenyon Green being out is a big deal. Um, Christian Harris is has now been out a couple of practices with a soft tissue issue. And then Titus Howard had COVID last week. So we know what the arc is with COVID. Like Titus will be back. Christian Harris, who knows anything soft tissue. It's a little bit scary, but um, they've managed to stay relatively healthy. Although, as you point out, John, like they've, you know, this is a new system. You want your offensive lineman to get as many reps as possible. Is are you concerned at all that they've been doing it the last few practices with kind of a patchwork line or they still got time to kind of make sure they're up and running and ready for week one here? I think anytime you have the problems this team has had in the offensive line and you don't have your guys that you want to have, I think it is pro- it is a problem. Maybe it'll all be taken care of soon, but you want those guys to be healthy at least starting the season so they can see what they they have. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um, ESPN did a, a, a ranking this weekend where they ranked the pool of talent under the age of 25 on all 32 teams. 
And as you can imagine, when they did this exercise, when they did this exercise two years ago, the Texans were actually ninth. So going into the 2020 season, they had the ninth best talent, according to ESPN, under the age of 25. Of course, that talent included Deshaun Watson. So that was a big part of that grade. Last year, they plummeted all the way to bottom in the league. That's what will happen when you don't have first-round picks in multiple drafts over a four-year period. And in the drafts where you did, it's still up in the air as to how well you drafted in 2019. So they were bottom of the league. This year, John, it's not a, it's not a, a, a massive jump, but they're up to 26th in the league in under 25 talent. I would say this for the Texans, this is a trend, as you've pointed out many times, They've, they've got 11 picks in next year's draft. They're going to have John Mechie coming back next year, hopefully from uh, recovering from leukemia. So he's like a 12th pick. So I would expect this is a trajectory that continues to go up for the Texans. It's strengthened in no small part by the fact that this sophomore class that they have, the 2021 draftees who are heading into their second year. John, you've been out there at every practice just like I have. Nick Casario might have gone five for five on this class. This looks like a class that all five guys are ready to make significant contributions to the team this year. What are your thoughts on the 2021 draft class? The Mills, Collins, Brevin Jordan, Garrett Wallow, Roy Lopez class. Roy Lopez started earlier than any of the others. He's retained that starting job in the defensive line the way Lovey Smith likes to use him on the nose in his four-man front. Mills you know, played last year way before they wanted to and then showed great progress at the end of the season. Collins has had an outstanding training camp now. Can that translate to the field during the games? Jordan and Wallow came on at the end of last year. It's like it took them a little longer to figure it out. Now the coaches love those guys. And that bodes well for that this year's draft class and next year's draft class. And even the one after that, in 24, they have 10 picks right now. So you know that won't stay because Serio will make deals. But right now, you know, the teams that were ranked the highest, the Jets were number two, or teams that pick high every year and have multiple picks. It doesn't mean they're going to be worth a darn, but it just means they got a lot of young talent. They've stockpiled from picking so high. At one point, Sean, think of where the Jaguars have been with all those top five picks year after year after year, but none of them stayed there. So I think uh, it's just what you said, not just those two number ones, but the number two Mm -hmm. that went to Miami for Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills as well. Absolutely. I I was thinking about this yesterday, John. I saw somebody on Twitter. They were posting, I guess Kyle Trask has really, really struggled this preseason for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, they haven't played a game yet, so who knows? But in practice... We know what bad practices look like for quarterbacks. That's what that's <laughs> yeah. we're very John, you and I are very familiar. We're experts in bad quarterback practices. But I guess Kyle Trask has looked pretty bad in practice. He was picked, I want to say he was picked 64th, because that yeah, because that was the, the Bucks were coming off of a Super Bowl championship. So they were picking last in the second round. One of the things I would love to know is how did Nick Casario have Kyle Trask, Kellen Mond? and Davis Mills ranked against each other. Like what if the Texans at 67 had all three of those guys available and they end up not taking Davis Mills. I think it's clear right now like of those three. And again, it's early in their careers and neither Mon nor Trask have had a chance to, to play the same way Mills did. Who knows? Maybe if one of them gets in last year, they, they have a great five starts at the end of the year. Who knows? But right now it's, it sure is looking like, um, that the Texans might've been fortunate that those two guys got taken ahead of Mills and that Mills was the one guy who was left over from that trio. I, I would love to know 
where Nick had Mills versus Trask and Mond in that little cluster of quarterbacks right there? Well, I'll tell you, he had him right ahead of them. And his sister told Dell Robertson of the Chronicle when he did a story on Mills on draft day that the Texans called him at the start of the second round when those guys were available and said, if you're there, we're taking you. Now, maybe they call each of those guys, but uh, I know they had him rated ahead of Trask. I've been told that. And then based on what he told the family is he would take them if he's there, and that's before mine was taken. So I kind of think that uh, he saw something special in Mills. And to be able to do it after only 11 starts, I believe, Sean, that that Kellen Mond started more games at A&M than any quarterback in last year's draft had started. And I think it was 46 compared to Mills's 11, mm-hmm. which makes Mills's performance even more impressive. Yeah, no doubt about that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. John, what about the rookies? We, we talked about Pierce a little bit earlier. Which rookies among the, I'll say among the nine draft picks, and maybe if there's an undrafted, I have at least one undrafted guy that I want to bounce off you that, that's kind of flashed a little bit early here. Um, but which rookies have kind of separated themselves from the pack of, you know, the depth chart muck? You know, most of these draft picks come in, all the draft picks came in last year. And they're in fist fights on the second or third layer of the depth chart to either get a spot or to stay on the team or whatever the case may be. But I know there's at least a few rookies that I think we can count on now, if not starting. They're a significant part of the rotation. I feel like Pierce is one of them. Of In your mind, which others should feel pretty secure that if things continue in this direction, they're going to be a big part of the game plan against Indianapolis in week one? Uh, Derek Stingley Jr., Kenyon Green, and, and Jalen Petrie will start if they're healthy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're going to see much of Stingley, maybe a little, because they're being very careful with his foot that underwent Liz Frank surgery last year. Petrie has been – it took him about two OTAs to be running with the first team. He's the talk which, of camp, John. He's the yeah. biggest topic at camp, in my opinion. And, and as I pointed out the day they drafted him, they're going to love the guy because I watched – Every college game he played, and so he'll start. And that Kenyon Green is going to start when he's healthy. Now, Christian Harris has suffered a setback. They have a lot of uh, veteran linebackers. I think it will take him longer. He'll be mostly special teams. And um, I think it's only a matter of time when Pierce is playing, he's going to be a starter. Yeah. And that's good if you had four rookie starters. And the guys down at the bottom of the first round, like defensive lineman Thomas Booker and, and uh, uh, Deculus, the guard from LSU, Austin Deculus, I want to see what they do when they get to come off the bench and play with the scrubs. And they want to see – the coaches always want to see improvement. They Coaches are so excited to play that first game when guys can go all out. And you know those young guys, the guys I'm talking about like – Booker and Deculus, those guys in the tight end, they've started to use, let's see, how do you pronounce his name? Tiorentino? Uh, Tegan, uh, Tegan Catoriano. 
Tori, uh, what is it? Kitoriano. Kitoriano. Yeah. He's, he started to look good in practice. I think he was slowed early by injury. So I'm eager to see him because tight end is a position. They need production. And as we talked early about Brevin Jordan, not really being a tight end and they need depth. So I can't wait to see those guys. John, Kurt Heinisch. If you're looking for an undrafted guy, if you're looking for an undrafted name, fans out there, if you're watching the game on Saturday, number 69 in your programs, number one in my heart, because like Jalen Petrie with you, John, Kurt Heinisch went to my alma mater. But he, he was running, he was on some of the special teams units out there, running with the ones on special teams, and he was running with the twos on the defensive line at a couple of these padded practices as well. He was a guy who was very productive at Notre Dame, but you could see why you could see just looking at him in this NFL that gets so caught up in eye tests and things like that, why he might go undrafted. He's very unconventional. Look, he looks like a barroom brawler, but I would say that's, that's another, if we're kind of throwing some of the undrafted rookies into the mix here, I think he's a guy who I'm anxious to watch play a bunch of snaps on, on Saturday as well. I don't know if, I don't know how much you watch line play. I don't watch a ton of line play at practice, even in the padded practices, I'm still focused on where the ball is. But I've been watching him because I'm, I've watched every snap that he played in college, and I'm rooting for him to make the team. He's looked very, very good. So that's another name I would tell people to keep an eye on. He's 6'2 and 300, and, of course, he plays inside. And uh, so I'll pay attention, too. I've heard some people talking about him in practice for just the reasons that you, you mentioned. Yeah. Lovey got asked about him. That, if you're an undrafted guy, John, and, you get, and the head coach gets asked about you, that's my theory. It's my analytics, John. If you get asked before the seventh practice and you're undrafted, if, you, if the head coach gets asked a question about you and we're not to the first preseason game yet, you're doing something right. I remember when Bill O'Brien got asked by some uh, reporter about Matt Filer back when he was an undrafted guy with the Texans, who, by the way, he's still in the league. He's an offensive lineman who's still in the league. He started for the Steelers last year. But when he was like a rookie or a second-year undrafted practice squad guy, clearly it was like some reporter from Matt Filer's hometown like, second practice at training camp. So what do you think of Matt Filer? And O'Brien was, O'Brien already, he, he already hated rookies. He's like, Matt Filer. Like, what, what, what do you want to ask me about Matt Filer for? It was, uh, it was very, very funny. Probably because Bill didn't know who he was. <laughs> Why are you asking me about guys 80 through 90 on the roster? Um, Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. So, yeah, so we're getting ready for a game on uh, Saturday. John and I will get you ready for that game a little more in our episode that drops later this week. John, among other laundry list items here that are tied to the Texans or just general football stuff, uh, we're on Deshaun Watson's suspension watch right now. I feel like it's I feel like it's Groundhog Day. I feel like feel like a week ago we were on suspension watch. We finally got a suspension, but now this appeal has basically kind of restarted the process. Do you, from people you've talked to, uh, either in Cleveland or maybe more appropriately that, that know kind of how the process works with the NFL. Do you have any sort of expectation when we're going to hear about this thing, what the decision is going to be? Uh, he designated Roger Goodell designated Peter Harvey, former attorney general, New Jersey, who helped formulate the personal conduct policy because he's done work with the NFL before. And the CBA says it has to be quote unquote expedited. 
but who knows what expedited means. Before that, they used to might take three months. So I'm guessing, everybody's guessing that it's going to come up in the next couple of weeks. And then the union's got to decide, does it want to sue in federal court and, and allow him to play? And uh, so it's all still up in the air, but we got to be closer to uh, the final word because his word is final as far as the league is concerned. And then NFLPA has to decide, does it want to go to court? Yeah, John, everything I'm hearing, I, I had Amy Dash on my uh, Sunday show yesterday on uh, CBS Sports Radio. John and I are recording this Monday as we speak. Um, and she had a really good article on her website, leagueofjustice.com, that explained all the differences between Watson suing the league in federal court and Brady and Ezekiel Elliott suing in federal court You know, five, six years ago they were able to get on the field because they got injunctions to be able to play. Eventually they lost in court and had to serve their suspensions, but at least they got on the field imminently back in those seasons. She pointed out several differences between what Watson, uh, between Watson's situation and those situations. And she thinks there's no chance he gets an injunction. I won't list all the reasons. Cause I don't know. I, I don't know if people want to know all the detailed legal reasons, a lot of it has to do with the fact that this was a collectively bargained method of dishing out punishment that not only did the players agree to, but in their statement when Deshaun Watson's punishment was announced, that NFLPA statement they put out the day before where they were imploring the league not to appeal, in that statement they said that it was a fair process that arrived at uh, Judge Sue Robinson's punishment. So they've already said that the process is fair. So if you say the process is fair, this appeal is part of the process, Um and, and she thinks there's zero chance that Deshaun Watson is on the field in week one for what it's worth. Well, everybody thinks that because when they said they wouldn't appeal it, but you can go to court over anything, mm -hmm. but they know they're going to lose in, in federal court. There's one that, that said he would have to miss the first six. Then he could come back and play until it's heard in federal court, but it's uh, it'd be better. Like Tony Grossi, a good friend of mine who's covered Browns for 35 years wrote an open letter to Watson at the end of the last week, just accept the punishment. The Browns were in the race. He thinks that they should, since at one point the negotiation was for between a season indefinite and 10 or 12 games. And if he could still get the 10 or 12, do it. Take it. Because the Browns were in the race last year, and they, with all the talent they have in the great running game, they could be in the race this year. And then him coming in like a – what night riding on a white horse to rescue them. That's better than having it drag out more. Well, and if it's a full season and let's pretend for a second that he does sue and somehow is successful in getting on the field in week one, while the courts hash this thing out, because we know the, the courts won't hash it out quickly. I don't know, man, if I like knowing full well, you're probably going to lose. You're probably going to ultimately have to serve that one season suspension. Even if you sue, would you rather Deshaun Watson, if you're a Cleveland fan, would you rather Deshaun Watson get on the field in 2022? You make sure you're not burning a year of daylight on Miles Garrett and Nick Chubb and guys like that, and you have Deshaun on the field this year, but you've got the suspension hanging over you all year before he eventually serves it. Or would you go with the grossy method of, hey, it's a season, that's the medicine, take the medicine, and then we start with a clean slate. We don't have to worry about any of this garbage come 2023 hopefully you know assuming deshaun is staying off of the instagram massage pages and whatnot i'm not sure who it is but four of their top players have contracts that expire after this season and it's doubtful they'll be able to bring all of them back 
So that's why there's some urgency. But the bottom line is they just need to get it done so everybody will know where they're going. And then will they trade for Jimmy Garoppolo if it's 10, 12 games of the season and have him come in and play over Jacoby Brissett because they think they're a Super Bowl contender. They can go six and six over a 12-game suspension. I think that's doable, too, with that schedule they have. Six and six, and then Deshaun comes in for the last five games. That could be a really, really interesting storyline. John, last thing before we close things out here, Hall of Fame ceremonies were this past weekend. They were great, as always. The speeches were amazing. Great class. There's there's too many great players, right? <laughs> there, there's more great players, and there are spots in the Hall of Fame right now, as you well know from being part of the committee that, uh, that picks the Hall of Fame. I guess the one Texan angle with all of this is – I read a couple articles this weekend. As happens, the weekend of the Hall of Fame stuff, we spend uh, you know about 12 hours celebrating this class before we're starting to look ahead to next year. There were at least two articles that I saw, one on NFL.com and the other might have been on CBS Sports. I can't remember. Both of them making predictions for next year's Hall of Fame class. As you know, Joe Thomas and Darrell Rivas are the big, they're, they're the big new names to be added to the, to the ballot this year. Um, but both of the articles that I saw, John, Andre Johnson, in in 2023 both of the articles so the pressure's on now john mcclain you're presenting andre johnson one of the things to keep in mind demarcus ware who like andre was a first time eligible last year and i thought he was a lock so he was a great pass rusher he did it for two high profile teams the cowboys and helped the broncos win a super bowl and i thought sure he was going to get in but we didn't put in any first year eligibles and we kind of did some cleanup. And I was glad a Texan went in, Tony Bozzelli, the second Texan after Ed Reed, to get into the – Two uh, Texan legends, John. Yeah, Pro Football <laughs> Hall of Fame. And, and of course, I hope those projections are right. problem is his competition, again, is going to be Reggie Wayne with his former coach, Tony Dungy, and his former general manager, Bill Polian, on our committee pushing for him against little old me. And Tory Holt from the greatest show on turf was another receiver that was competition, but they didn't make the cut to 10. Andre did. Hopefully he'll make the cut to five, but the way I see it, there's only going to be two spots because Joe Thomas, Terrell Revis and DeMarcus Ware, I think are going to be locks. Yeah. DeMarcus Ware went in on both of the articles that I saw as well. I have Thomas and Revis obviously got spots. They feel like, you know, they, they feel like the closest thing to first, time eligible locks that you could get in there. So as you point out, Thomas Revis, where went in in both the articles that I saw Andre Johnson went in. And then I think the fifth spot, one was Tory Holt and the other might've been Reggie Wayne. So you're right. This is going to be a really interesting year for wide receiver. And you still got Steve Smith. That's out there too. That I think is, is at least a borderline case. He's an interesting, he's, he's an intriguing case for the hall of fame. I don't think he's got the same chops that the other three do, but I would imagine that it's, it at least makes for some interesting conjecture in that room. Yeah, just keep in mind, Torrey Holt played with Kurt Warner. He's in the Hall of Fame. Yep. Reggie Wayne played with Peyton Manning, and he's in the Hall of Fame. And Andre Johnson played with Matthew Schaub and Derek Carr, and, and David Manny, Carr. Tony Banks, TJ Yates, Sage Rosenfels, the Hall of Fame of quarterbacks. And, John, we love all those guys for who they are, just to be clear. But Absolutely. They're not paying. I would point out too, John, that I think you could argue that Tory Holt and Reggie Wayne were <laughs> the greatest number two wide receivers in the history of the game, right? I mean, like uh, Tory Holt also had Isaac Bruce and Marshall Falk to draw attention away. 
and uh, Reggie Wayne had Marvin Harrison and Edron James. Andre Johnson had, if I can go back to your methodology here, dot, 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 Kevin Walter. Again, who we love. We love Kevin Walter, but he's not Marvin Harrison. Uh, he's not Isaac Bruce. It's just, you know, running back wise, he did have Arian Foster for a little while there. Arian, I, John, I argue all the time that if Arian did what he did from 2010 through 2014, if he just had like three more years of that, then you would be presenting Arian Foster at various times over the next few years for the Hall of Fame. Peak Arian Foster was a great running back. He was a great running back. He's a great receiver, great blocker, by far the best in Texans history. And uh, it's too bad he quit when he quit. Yep, no doubt. All right, so there it is. Episode three of the Utopia Football Podcast in the books. Uh, You can download it. Odyssey.com is where you can go search us. You can search us in any search engine and go find us in the Odyssey app as well and everywhere that you get your podcast. John, I always enjoy the conversation. Look forward to seeing you out at practice and doing this again next week, my friend. Sean, thank you very much. It's always fun, and I do appreciate it. All right, good stuff. That's John McClain. I'm Sean Pendergast. You can listen to me 6 to 10 a.m. Well, after this week, 6 to 10 a.m. Training camp, it's a shorter show, but 6 a.m. every morning on uh, Monday through Friday on Sports Radio 610. You can hear John McClain throughout the week as well on all of our shows on Texans Radio as well. Uh, John McClain, you can get him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. I am at Sean T. Pendergast. I'm Sean Pendergast. That's John McClain. We are out of time. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. Download, give us that five-star review, and we will see you next time, everybody.